Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. In this series, we dive deeper into the narratives we hold about God. Narratives play a fundamental role in forming a person's core identity, both for the positive or for the negative. So join us over the coming weeks as we explore the character of God displayed through the life and mission of Jesus. As Jonathan said, we're, we're starting a new journey together this week. And it's also, as Jonathan said, a series called The Good and Beautiful God. And it's based on this book, as I mentioned last week, if you were here, um, which is written by James Bryan Smith. And in terms of some background, um, I was introduced to this book um, and so was Alison and the year before Dan as part of our Vineyard College Studies Um, There's a spiritual formation unit which is about um, our personal transformation to Christ-likeness and we read three actually really wonderful books and one of them was this one. And in the book Smith identifies that a lot of us can feel frustrated at times because we can feel like we don't um, or we're not achieving the spiritual transformation that the Bible says is possible. We really, really want to become more like Christ. And sometimes we can feel a sense of um, desperation if the experience is one that we feel like that we're failing at. If we, we really want to change certain aspects that we know don't line up with the way that Jesus was. Um, but we're not, we don't feel like we can do that. So sometimes that can feel um, unsettling, can't it? But that sense of striving or not measuring up is not what God wants for us. So I'm hoping that this series, which is springboarding off our whole journey this year, but off the Breathe series, um, is one that is a journey of deep transformation and community building, getting to know ourselves and each other and most importantly, God. So what Smith says in this book is that um, narratives are a crucial foundation in the process of personal transformation to Christlikeness. What we believe affects what we do and how we react and how we relate. I'll just move to the next slide. So what we're going to explore is um, the way that we view God because in each of our hearts or in each of our minds there is a picture of God that's drawn um, and it's drawn, it's sketched by many hands actually across the course of our life. But when we look at Jesus, who's the visible image of the invisible God, we can start to evaluate that picture that's in our mind. And we can start to challenge false narratives. So we're going to explore how Jesus addresses some of those false narratives about God. And we're going to delve deep, I hope. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us really what we think about God. And how, how beautiful was the worship? I've written down, oh, where's my phone? Here it is. Just some of the things that we declared tonight. God, you write my story. You hold it all together. Your thoughts define me. You're my reality. We've sung about the goodness and faithfulness of God and we've sung about God's reckless love. It's so good. But what we're going to do is we're going to challenge um, those underlying thoughts that might not line up with the truth that we've declared. 
So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us what we think about God and how that plays out in in our lives, in the way that we relate to God, in the way that we respond to other people and how we just deal with the things that happened in our, in our lives. And this series is not about looking inwards and navel-gazing. It's about looking up to God and seeing who he is. Can we go to the next slide? So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be demolishing arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. So for me, what I'm hoping is that I don't just walk away on a Sunday and think, for example, that's great, I've heard about God's goodness. It's a challenge for me too. I'm going to sit with it for the week and I'm going to ask God, where in my life do my actions, my responses and my thoughts not hold to this truth? Thanks, Alison. So here's where we're headed tonight. We're going to look at some pictures of God that are quite common. We're going to talk about narratives, what they are and why they're important. We're going to talk about some false narratives surrounding transformation. Um, I'm going to explain how the series is going to unfold. We're going to have communion and we're going to have some prayer, which is a step towards demolishing those arguments. So let's think think about some common images of God. I've got a few humorous pictures that we see around about the place. In this picture, we have an almost powerless God somewhat out of touch, resting in the clouds. And I don't know if you can read that. It says, ever wonder if God ever had any second thoughts and he's got free will and he's got humans and he's mixing up his creation. So we have a God who's doubting his creation and he doesn't appear to have faith in what he's made. And next slide. We have a faceless character, just a hand, who's coming out of the clouds and pulling a person up. Now, depending on how we're feeling, that could be a positive or it could be a negative because it could be God saying, this is what I'm sending you to, and the person be, oh, me, or oh, me, or, <laughs> or it could be, I saw you do that, and the person could be feeling naked and exposed. And we have a God who doesn't have time. So this, is, this one says, when God is hearing your wish, and he doesn't have time to deal with it, and he thinks that um, your prayers are silly. Thanks, Alison. Oh, yeah, we've got an angry God who's ready to smite someone. These, oh, actually, I've got more. (laughs) I just haven't written any notes about them. One of my kids came in and he said, oh, Mama, I can help you find some more images of God, (laughs) pictures of God. So we've got some ones that are more to his taste. And then we have, oh, the next one would have been more relevant if we'd had the (laughs) discussion we were going to have tonight, which was on the finances. So this is somebody trying to explain to God Um, why he's tithed the way that he's tithed. Thanks, Alison. So we have a mass, a jumble of confusing images. They're funny, um, but actually the underlying narratives, a lot of these um, pictures are real for people and they feature in the minds, in our minds and the minds of other people. My mum used to say when I was teasing my brothers, um, you know, She'd ask me not to tease my brothers and I'd say, Mum, I'm only joking. And she would say, well, out of the mouth the heart speaks, which is biblical. Um, <laughs> so I've stacked these images here and it's not just for practical reasons. Um, it's not just because I didn't want to have to flip through all the slides again. It's partly that, but it's also because I feel like this represents our mind sometimes. 
it's a confusing jumble of images and um, maybe incomplete images. There probably would be in, in all of our minds there would be other images that aren't here, all of the, the positive ones that God is good and God is faithful and God is just and God is, you know, all of the things that we know. But then there's other things that we need to really kind of nut out and question. So on the one hand, we can know that God loves us. But then if we analyse the way that we relate to him, why do we approach our generous God as though he doesn't have time to help with our struggles? Sometimes we forget to pray and ask. And why is that? If he's our good God who loves us, then he wants us to come and talk to him. And what impact to all of these images, or at least the ones that relate to you, have on us, have on our ability to see God as this? Thanks, Alison. And to know that this is the relationship that he had with Jesus. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And that's the relationship he also wants to have with us. And how do those images affect the way that we communicate um, the love of God to other people? Jesus knew God as a good father who loved him and was pleased to acknowledge him and to talk with him and to partner with him. We can't fall in love with a red-faced angry God, but we can fall more and more in love with the God that Jesus knew and the God that Jesus revealed. And as we fall more and more in love with that God, we become more and more like Christ. So what's the deal with narratives? What are narratives? Stories. I was reflecting on this when... um, uh, we, we talked a lot about story before we read this book, actually. Um, and when I was studying English at school, I don't think we really learnt about narratives. We are using the word narrative anyway. Even in, in high school, if we had an, ass- an assignment or an in-class exam, it was write a short story. Um, but the kids come home and they say, oh, I had to write a narrative or I had to write a persuasive um, essay or, or something. It's definitely in the um, the vernacular of... Um, or it's definitely in common language now. But narratives are, are an essential part of our everyday life and growth because we are, we're creatures that live by stories. Our human mind organises information using templates and structures and narratives. Narratives help us to understand life and our experiences. So when something big happens in our life, we remember it with characters and we remember it with a plot line and we remember the place and the setting And often we retell them as stories. We don't just list a a group of facts. There's a story that plays out in our discussion. And quite often, well, if it's me, people hear me say the same thing over and over again if they're with me and hear my stories a couple of times, probably word for word. Stories are easy to remember. Parents and teachers use them to um, teach kids because they help to influence personal values and shape relationships. Think about the stories that we learnt when we were kids. Um, The boy who cried wolf or Hansel and Gretel. Don't tell lies and don't take lollies from strangers. So our, our experience, our social and cultural settings, our memories of history and relationships all mould who we become and they actually all mould who... Um, how we see and picture God. And some stories bring life, but others, other stories are tall tales of deceit and we need to recognise and assess those narratives about God. 
And doing that is a really important state, part of our transformation, our journey. But, do you know, our story doesn't start, it didn't start um, when we were created. I love that psalm that talks about God knowing us um, and seeing us being formed. Our story started back in Genesis 1, 2 and 3. We're, we're linked into a much bigger story. And the more I learn, the more I realise that most things go back to Genesis 1, 2 and 3. The God of the Bible is infinite and he's personal and he's relational and he created humankind in his image to know, to love, to honour and to enjoy relationships both with him and with each other. And the fall in Genesis 3, it it wasn't just a problem because of sin. It was a problem because um, at that point our picture of God got corrupted. Our understanding of God, our relationship with God was corrupted So God embarked on his plan to bring redemption and restore humanity and relationship. And because it's impossible to enter into a relationship with a God that that they didn't know, the Israelites, he went about re-establishing that relationship. And in the Old Testament, he rescued them and he he introduced himself to them and he um, created a presence for them to come, a place for them to come and meet with him. And he, he taught them how to be a people of God. And the stories were um, passed from orally from generation to generation and they, and they helped, the Bible stories helped to reconnect humanity to a God who's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 40% of the Bible is narrative actually. And Jesus is the culmination of God's self-revelation. This is beautiful. In Jesus, God has drawn near so that we can see his face. Jesus carried on using stories to teach people about his good and loving father. And here's another um, great quote. Jesus is the word made flesh, the truth narrated in bone and bowel, space and time. (laughs) I thought I should write down who wrote that and I can't pronounce his last name. Frederick Bruckner. It's probably German, Beata would be able to help. So in terms of where this is written in the Bible or one of the places this is written, it's Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn of among all of the dead, so that in him, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. It's amazing. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Another scripture, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews is saying here that Jesus radiates God's glory and expresses his character. And God's character is the foundation upon which everything else is built. Because we're in those last days, aren't we? And we need to look to Jesus, read his word, examine his life and his actions, see the way that he related to others and to God and understand his stories. The truth of God is displayed in the life of Jesus and we can fall in love with that God. Thanks, Alison. So how does spiritual transformation happen? How do we become more like Jesus? Most of us try to change by our willpower, things that we, things that we think we need to do better, like exercising more or eating more healthy foods or being less grumpy, reading our Bibles more. We often try and determine what we think in our own eyes is good and going for it. And often when we are trying to act on our willpower, after a little while we lose momentum and then we can become disappointed with ourselves and we can end up feeling like things will never change, which is a lie, or alternatively we can feel like things are um, okay, we don't really need to become more like Jesus, We're, we're doing fine, which is also a lie. I don't know if you know who Richard Foster is. There's a couple of um, scholars that are very knowledgeable in the area of spiritual disciplines and spiritual transformation, and Richard Foster is one of them. And I'll just read a quote from him. We cannot, by direct effort, make ourselves into the kind of people who can live fully alive to God. Only God can accomplish this in us. We do not, for example, become humble merely by trying to become humble. Action on our own would make us all the more proud of our humility. No, instead we train with spiritual disciplines appropriate to our need. By an act of the will, we can choose to take up disciplines, all of the things we've been learning about in the last series. And they are disciplines of, they're all actions of the body, the mind, the spirit that are within our power to do. And then the grace of God steps in, takes this simple offering of ourselves and creates out of it the kind of person who embodies the goodness of God. He says, what we, we do what we can so that God can cultivate in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And in, this, in the book, it's called Changing by Indirection. And there's a really, um, there's a good example in the book, but I thought I'll try and think of a different one in case anybody is going to read, read the book. I'll save it for them. Um, <laughs> but uh, if I want to eat more healthy, um, it's very difficult if I just decide to stop eating chocolate and there's chocolate in the cupboard. <laughs> I actually need to engage people around me to be a part of the process and let them know that and I need to change my actions and that change needs to start happening before I'm at home. So it needs to start happening when I'm at the shops. I can't, it's very hard for me to say no to chocolate when it's in the cupboard. It's a little bit easier for me to say no when I'm having to buy it at the shops and if I let everybody else in the house know that we're not going to have as much chocolate, it's much more helpful. So I'm changing the things I can so that ultimately I might eat less chocolate. (laughs) Dallas Willard teaches that spiritual formation in Christ is a lifetime process of interchanging destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Paul said this too when he said that we should renew our minds rather than conform to the ideas and patterns of the world. 
Actually, Dallas Willard is a very, very clever man and often I haven't read heaps of Dallas Willard but the Dallas Willard that I have read, every page I have to read three times in order to understand it. And um, James Bryan Smith, he calls himself like a Forrest Gump, kind of a nobody who got to hang out with lots of somebodies. And um, he journeyed through life and met Dallas Willard and um, Richard Foster and Brennan Manning and um, another, you know, a number of um, very good thinkers. Um, and they said to him, oh, it would be really good if someone came up with an, um, an easy way to understand how spiritual transformation happens. And he said, well, why don't, why don't you do that? And they said, oh, I think you need to do that. So I'm glad he did because this is such an easy book to read. <laughs> Thanks, Alison. In his book, he says that there are four components um, of transformation. There's the narratives, adopting the narratives of Jesus, which involves challenging how we think. There's spiritual disciplines, which he um, reframes as soul training exercises. He says that when we think of them as spiritual disciplines, we're really thinking of them as something that we have to really work hard to do. But it's really more about making space and opening ourselves up to God, um, but being available to God to make those changes. And um, also participating in community. So he calls, uh, this is called the, this actually might have been originally from um, Dallas Willard, but it's the Triangle of Transformation. And um, sorry, I've left, I've left out the most important thing of all. Um, the Holy Spirit is, um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the empowerer of it all. <laughs> sorry. So the model acknowledges, that the, it acknowledges the work of the Holy Spirit and human effort within community. So we can learn to choose the right narrative about God in any, any circumstance. We can hold up our thoughts. We can learn to hold up our thoughts and say, does this line up with the God that Jesus knew and the God that Jesus revealed? So in terms of the series, thanks, Alison. Um, the previous slide, I think the previous slide had, sorry, has um, all of the different character traits of God that we're going to move through in this series. And each week we're going to consider uh, a truth about God that we can see displayed in the life of Jesus. And sometimes they're specific in the text and sometimes they're demonstrated by the narrative, the story and what happened, how Jesus related to others and to God. We're going to consider the false, the false narrative. So these are the true narratives that Jesus revealed but we're also then going to talk about, well, how can the opposite narrative be happening in our life? We're going to explore that a little bit. And we're going to follow the discussion in the book, but we're also going to try and incorporate where relevant insights from our own experience. And we're definitely going to be opening ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then we're hoping to travel... Um, through as a community. So as Jonathan mentioned, we're going to run a home group each week um, and we're also going to provide, which we've done tonight, it's over on the, um, on the table, some um, resources that we can travel through together. So if, if you can't come to the home group, it's fine. Um, grab the, um, the uh, handout and go through that journey personally and then invite somebody else on the journey with you. It's about revealing, um, it's about being open to what God might be saying to you and um, being open to share that with other people and then praying together and 
and working through it. So the hand, summary handout is going to provide um, the key scriptures that we've preached on and that um, are relevant to each of the character traits of God. And it's going to include what the true narrative is and the false narratives. And it also will include a prayer, which I'm about to um, to explain, and, and a soul training exercise. So by the end of the, the series, we will have um, explored nine, eight, nine, ten, um, different types of soul training exercises that we can um, that we can try. Because some some things work for other people and they really enjoy them, and other um, and others may not. But we'll have an opportunity to try different things. Some weeks we might break for discussion and other times we might have a specific ministry, ministry call but, but every week we're going to make space for the Holy Spirit to move on our hearts and bring to mind any false narratives um, specific to us and we're going to make space to confess and renounce those false narratives and ask God to replace them with his truth. So I'll show you a copy of the prayer that we're going to, going to read every week. Um, yep, yeah, this is the one. So we're going to confess any false narratives and that they've affected the way that we relate to God. And we're going to try and be as specific as possible. So I've put an example here. Um, a false narrative could be that I, I feel I need to earn your, your favour. Um, we're going to acknowledge that those false narratives come um, for an, um, from a number of different sources and that could be from other people. So if we can think of anybody or God raises anybody in our, heart, in our hearts and minds um, that has contributed to that false narrative, then we're going to forgive them. And we're going to ask um, God to forgive us for um, believing the lie and we're going to renounce it and break any agreement with the lie and we're going to choose to accept and believe God's truth. And the example that I've got here is that God is a generous God. It's about believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouths, isn't it? Jesus is Lord over all of the narratives that have accumulated. So it's about recognising them and demolishing them and bringing them or bringing every thought into to, um, alignment with what Jesus says. So I thought that I would give an example um, just very briefly um, about some of the narratives that popped up for me when I was travelling through this. I didn't. I really, really enjoyed this book. Um, I don't think we read every chapter of it as we were going through the course. Um, I'm going to read it again um, and um, be open to deal with the false narratives as they arise. But when I was reading through it last year, one of the narratives that uh, I was drawn to was God is generous. And we had to pick that narrative up and we had to do a self-reflection. And initially I didn't actually realise how impactful that narrative would be because I thought that I had a pretty solid acceptance of God's generosity. But as I continued to work through it, I realised that in a lot of ways I was actually um, functional. So by my actions and by the way I was responding to things, I was accepting a false narrative in relation to having to measure up and to meet expectations and to earn favour, often people's favour, but um, that was impacting my relationship with God. So, and it was also interesting to consider where that, the way that that narrative had become ingrained. And what I found was that not all of the contributing factors were bad. <laughs> um, 
my Western upbringing in a hardworking Christian family did instill many, many, many wonderful gifts um, in relation to being independent, in relation to working hard to succeed and being a good steward in terms of um, both using my giftings for God but also trying to make wise financial and occupational choices. Those things aren't bad. I worked as a human resource manager, um, which part of that is um, looking at the way people work and whether they're performing and helping them if they're not performing, helping them to meet expectations. Um, That's not bad. But it was feeding into this narrative. So I felt confident when I was productive. I felt confident when I was working hard and, and saving and making good decisions and being able to give generously because of those good decisions and um, I really valued helping other people but what I had to be honest with myself and say I, um, I'm very self-sufficient and I find it difficult to ask for help. Um, and so as my work situations have changed over the years, I've struggled at times with the idea that I'm just not doing enough. So, I, I mean, and you know, I've said this before, I've stood up here and said this before, I've, I've been challenged to remember that my value is in my being rather than my doing. There is more to it than that, but I don't want to take any more time on that. Um, I don't want to run out of time. But taking that time to consider the origin and the impact um, of those things and how they fed into the false narrative um, has been quite freeing. It's not... Uh, it's still a process. Uh, I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting quicker at recognising when I'm wobbly and because it's, um, because it's that and I do have to then come back and say, um, God, I'm walking out this narrative again. I'm sorry for walking out this narrative. I don't want to walk, I, I, I don't accept it and um, I want to believe your truth. Um, Alison, can you go to the next slide? Thank you. A few weeks ago I used this slide. It's such a hurry window. If you And if you weren't here, it's essentially um, these four boxes re- represent a person, the entirety of a person. And it um, acknowledges that there are parts of us that are open, that everybody can see and that we know about ourselves. And there are parts of us where we, there are blind spots, where other people can see stuff and we don't really realise it. And there are parts of us that are hidden from other people. And there are parts of us that are unknown. And so by opening myself up to God and saying, can you reveal the false narratives? He was able to reveal some of the areas that I just hadn't realised. They were unknown or I hadn't made the linkage as to how those um, many good things could be feeding into a false narrative. Um, And I've shared it with you, <laughs> you know a little bit more about me. Um, as, I'm go- as we go through this process, we open ourselves up to be more true to who we are and to have God reveal um, more of who we are and heal those areas that need healing. Okay, so I think what we're going to do now is um, come together for communion and What I'd like to do is, um, I don't know if you remember, a couple of months ago, um, Helen, we had communion and Helen just got us to be in a big circle. So I thought that as part of stepping into this this journey that we're going to travel together, that we'd come into a big circle and I might just lead us through um, some thoughts 
um, as we prepare our hearts for communion. I might just pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the truth of God. Thank you that you are God and you came to reveal the fullness of God to us. Lord God, as we, Jesus, as we, and Holy Spirit, as we just come to think about a few more things and meditate on a few more aspects of your character, I just pray that you open our hearts and minds to receive all of what you have for us. So if you just want to close your eyes and I'll just read some thoughts. Jesus revealed the fullness of God's character. From the creation of the world, God has continued to give good gifts despite our unfaithfulness, humanity's unfaithfulness. He loved the world so much that he gave his son Jesus, not to bring condemnation but so that the world might be saved and come to know the Father. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus demonstrated by his life and his death that God loves because it's part of his nature. And he commanded that his followers love one another just as I have loved you. So let's just take a moment to consider Jesus' sacrifice with thankful and open hearts. Jesus is the truth about truth itself. To understand the gospel and to participate in everything that God intends, each of us must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That means that we need to take on Jesus' perspective. The Holy Spirit, I ask that you reveal right now any false narratives that we might be holding about your ability to, tr to um, transform us into everything that you w want us to be, transform us into the full image of Christ, into becoming more Christ-like. And Holy Spirit, if there's anything, even just in this introductory message where um, we've, re we've realised that we've been holding a wrong picture of you, I just pray that you bring that to mind now. So what, before we have... Um, before we take communion, we're just going to pray that prayer out loud and we'll leave silence where there's a line and in that silence um, you just fill your mind with the false narrative and then the true narrative. Let's, let's pray. Lord, 
I confess that I have allowed false narratives to affect the way that I relate to you. I have believed the lie that... Just acknowledge that in your mind. And we'll read the next line. I forgive those who've contributed to my forming this false narrative. If there's anyone specific, just um, release that person to Jesus and, and bring forgiveness. We'll read the next line. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for receiving this false narrative, for living my life based on it, and for any way that I have judged others because of it, I receive your forgiveness. I renounce and break my agreement with this narrative and any powers of darkness behind it. I choose to accept, believe and receive the truth that Allow that truth to be real in your heart and accept it. As we come and we um, seek forgiveness for God and ask God to replace it with His truth, it becomes possible for the image and the picture of God that we have in our mind and our hearts to be redrawn um, as an accurate representation.